Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Matthew chapter 25, we read together. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took their lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. The bridegroom was a long time in coming and they all became dreary and fell asleep. At midnight the cry rang out, Here's the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all the virgins woke up and trimmed their lamps. The foolish ones said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, our lamps are going out. No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. But while they were on their way to buy oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later the others also came. Sir, sir, they said. Open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good evening and thank you Paul for your very warm welcome to us tonight. I hope you can all see a copy of um, that reading from Matthew chapter 25. It's on page 994 in the church Bibles, if you close the Bibles. And I hope also you can see a copy of a handout, uh, one of the white inserts, and it should give you a feel for where we're going over the next few minutes. We're looking this week and next week at two parables from Matthew's Gospel in chapter 25. But as we turn to God's word, let's pray for his help. As we look at it, let's pray. Father, we thank you that in a world which is so full of uncertainty and so full of confusion about what to expect in the future, Father, we thank you that you have spoken to us clearly that we may not be in any doubt about what to expect, that we may be fully prepared. And so we pray tonight that you would indeed help us to know what to expect in the future. And we pray this, that we may be your people and bring glory to your name. Amen. Some years ago now, I was back home in Scotland with my parents and It was one of those rare Scottish days when it was actually warm enough to sit outside, and so we were having lunch in the garden, I I guess 20 meters or so from our back door, and during that half an hour while we were having lunch, someone broke into our house and stole my mum's handbag. It wasn't very pleasant. If you've ever experienced that kind of incident, you know it. It's not pleasant at all, and it got worse when the police arrived And they warned us that there had been a whole run of break-ins in the local area and that they'd all followed one particular pattern, which was that the first break-in was a a minor incident. It was a scouting mission. 
And then a, a few days later, maybe a week or so, there will be a second, much more um, planned, much more serious, full-on break-in. And this had happened again and again in the local area. And so the police said to us, be careful, be on your lookout, don't leave your house, because the chances are in the next few days, these people will come back and try to break in again. Not great news, Um, and it got even worse because my parents were due to leave the next day on holiday, and they had decided to leave me alone in charge of the house. So just imagine with me, if you would, that first night, that next night, with the warning of the policeman in my ears, with my parents away on holiday in quite a large house in Scotland, just imagine what I did on that night. Uh, Do you think that I went around and left the doors wide open and the windows flapping in the wind? No way. I went around and I checked and double-checked every lock. I closed every window twice, and I collected a stack of pots and pans from the kitchen and I attached them to a black cotton tripwire across the stairs. I kid you not. And yes, I even went to bed clutching my golf club. <laughs> you see, I had been given a very clear warning about the future. And I did the only sensible thing, which was I got ready in light of that warning. What we have before us tonight in Matthew 25 is a warning about the future. But unlike that warning from the policeman, which happily for me came to nothing, uh, this warning before us tonight, well, it will happen. And unlike the warning I received, it doesn't come from a policeman. It comes from the king of the universe. And this warning is about an event which is far more serious, far more life-changing, far more drastic than any robbery we could ever think of. And as we think about this warning tonight, we should do the only sensible thing. We should get ready. The parable we have before us uh, tells the story of a wedding celebration. I guess the details will be more familiar to a first century ear than to ours. It seems that the wedding ceremony had already taken place before the parable begins and the bride had gone, I think, to the reception already and the groom was on his way, they were told. And the parable begins, verse 1, as the welcoming committee head out to wait for the arrival of the bridegroom. And so the scene is set. And it's not hard, I think, to work out uh, what's in view here as Jesus tells this parable. He uh, he begins verse 1 by referring to, at that time, a reference back to chapter 24, where he's just been teaching about the second coming of Christ, his second coming. And frequently in scripture, for example, uh, Isaiah 54 verse 5, if you're taking notes, God is described as a husband who one day will return to take his people as his bride. And so surely these events described for us in Matthew 25, well, they describe the coming of Christ as the groom to meet his bride. Well, what about this welcoming committee, the 10 virgins that we read about in verse 1? Uh, the word translated virgin could also mean bridesmaid, and I think perhaps that's a more helpful translation. Uh, the point here is that here are 10 people who are intimately connected with the events of the wedding 
ceremony that are taking place. The ten bridesmaids represent the visible church. They represent, if you like, each one of us sitting here tonight as we gather. And we are left in no doubt about why Jesus tells this parable. He tells us himself, in fact, in verse 13. He says, Therefore keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour. There's our warning from King Jesus. Keep watch. Stay ready. And this parable is here to show us why it is so important that we do everything we can to make sure that we are keeping watch, that we are ready for this great event that will happen. So why should we keep watch? Why should we stay ready? Well, let's dive into the details. Um, do look at the handout. We've got three headings as we go. First of all, Christ, Christ's return will be delayed. The bridesmaids head out to lie in the way to welcome the groom as he returns. And you can just imagine the air of excitement and anticipation as these uh, people wait for the groom. But there's a problem. Do you notice? Verse 5. The bridegroom was a long time in coming, and they all became drowsy and fell asleep. We aren't, we aren't told how long the delay was, but certainly long enough for the initial buzz, the initial anticipation to wear off, to be replaced by sleep. And so straight away, we discover that Christ's return will be delayed. A few years ago, Lorna and I bought a flat in Oxford. It was a, a very small flat, and it was very run down and needed lots of work. And so at one point, I ordered a new shower from a well-known DIY store. And you know how these orders work? They give you a particular date when the order will arrive, and then they give you a, a window of time to be around for. In my case, it was nine until one on a Friday. And so the, the, the Friday arrived, and I got there bright and early, half eight. I was super keen to get the new shower. I was very excited to see how it would look in our new bathroom. And then at 10 o'clock, I was starting to get a bit bored and, and a bit frustrated, a bit impatient. By 11 o'clock, I thought I'd got the wrong date. Um, by 12 o'clock, I was finding it hard to even visualize what it would look like for a man to ring the bell with the shower in his hand. I couldn't visualize the shower being there. Such was the wait. By one o'clock, my mind was well and truly gone. I was thinking about the local KFC down the road, and I was hungry. And by two o'clock, I was gone. You see, that is what delay does to us, doesn't it? It makes us doubt. It makes us question. It nags. It makes us lose sight of what we're waiting for. And we are open to distraction. And if it's true with a B&Q delivery, it is also true as we wait for Christ to return. And it was no surprise to me when I got a phone call that afternoon from B&Q or whoever it was to say they're very sorry. And in fact, my shower wasn't in stock and actually the order had been cancelled. I just wonder if there are some here tonight and we've been waiting for Christ to return for so long for so many years, that in our heart of hearts, we've just started to wonder if he will ever come. 
we've just started to wonder if actually it's, it's not delay, in fact it's cancellation that has taken place. In our heart of hearts, we start to feel distracted, impatient. Our minds start to go to other things that feel more immediate, more tangible to us. The excitement we once had is ebbing away. Maybe that promotion at work feels more secure, more exciting. Maybe the next holiday grips our heart more. Maybe the extension on the house just feels more worthwhile at this stage. You see, delay can eat away. It can nag at our confidence. Well, if that is us here tonight, then know with confidence that Christ will return. There is no cancellation, just delay. Look with me at verse six. At midnight, the cry rang out, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. This will happen. The day is in the diary. And I think we can help each other at this point. In just the next chapter, in chapter 26 of Matthew's gospel, Jesus we find in the garden of Gethsemane, he's preparing for his, his trial and his death. And he has around him some of his disciples. And he says to them, could you, could you keep watch with me? Verse 38 of Matthew 26. Keep watch, it's the same word as in Matthew 25, verse 13. I think a a deliberate link. Keep watch, he says, in his moment of agony and need. And then he goes and prays. And we know what happens. The disciples wait and then they become drowsy and they fall asleep. And then Jesus returns and he finds them. Um, And then he says in verse 41, he says, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing but the body is weak. Watch and pray. It's a good reminder to all of us as we wait for Christ, in our case for his second coming, it's so easy to let the delay leave us feeling sleepy. We can fall into temptation, into distraction. And if you see a fellow brother or sister, a fellow follower of Christ nodding off spiritually, we can give one another a little, a little nudge, can't we? We can say, come on, wake up. Don't fall asleep. Christ is coming back. It's delayed, not cancellation. We can help each other. Maybe in our small groups, we can stand with one another. Maybe it's a one-to-one conversation over coffee or, or, or sometime in the week. We can just, just put an elbow. We can just encourage. And we need it because Christ's return has been delayed. Second, Christ's return will bring division. We read verse one that there were 10 bridesmaids who went out to meet the groom. Nothing special, I think, in the number. But what is striking as we look at this parable is that all 10 bridesmaids look almost identical, almost all the way through. Do you notice how all 10 are called bridesmaids. They've all been given a particular role in the wedding celebration. They all um, have lamps. They all head out to line the way for the groom to return. Uh, They all fall asleep. They all wake up when the cry goes out. They all light their lamps or trim their wicks. And it's only at that point do we discover that there is one crucial difference. It's there, do you see it, in verse 2. 
back in chapter 25, verse two. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. The foolish ones took the lamps but did not take any oil with them. The wise, however, took oil in jars along with their lamps. You see, five headed out who were wise and they had a lamp and a reserve jar of oil. Five foolish ones headed out with a lamp, yes, but no oil in their reserve jar. They were not prepared for the delay. They were not prepared to wait. And this difference only becomes public at the moment when the groom returns. The foolish bridesmaids run off to find more oil, and we read um, in verse 10, but while they were on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins who were already ready went with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Lots of people have come up with lots of wonderful ideas about what this oil in the jar represents. Uh, Some have said that it refers to the Holy Spirit, Others have said that it talks about faith or others' grace. I don't think we know what it refers to particularly. I think it's to push the parable too far to speculate. I think simply having oil means that you're ready for Christ to return. That's that's the point that Jesus is making, I think. And so we see that Christ's return will bring division. And the challenge for some of us here tonight is that it is perfectly possible to look like a Christian, to dress like a Christian, to talk like a Christian, to do the activities that Christians do, to even be here tonight with other Christians, but to not be a Christian. To not be someone who has met Jesus personally, to not be someone who realizes that they are sinful before a holy God and who realizes that at the foot of the cross and only at the foot of the cross we find forgiveness for our sins in a personal way. It is possible to be among Christians, to look like a Christian and to not be a Christian. Don't be that person. The challenge for others here tonight is that Past readiness is no substitute for present readiness. I think it is significant that the five foolish bridesmaids had lamps initially, and I think they worked to start with. But the problem in verse 8 is that the lamps that have been working are now going out. They don't have enough reserves. Which I think means for us that past readiness spiritually, is, is no substitute for present readiness. Uh, it's been wonderful to hear Claire's testimony tonight, to hear what the Lord's been doing in her life, um, to see tonight that wonderful picture of how Christ washes us and makes us ready to appear before him. But I just wonder if there are some here tonight who, as we've heard Claire speak about her own faith and how she wants to stand for Christ, with her friends, we've just realized that we used to be like Claire. We used to be passionate about Jesus, passionate about the cross, passionate about standing for Christ. We used to be like that, but, but not so much recently. We have lost that initial 
joy in the gospel. We have lost that clear-sighted understanding of what really matters in life, following King Jesus. We have let our eyes drift to other things. A few weeks ago, as you can imagine, we were packing up our house in Oxford, and we had some men who came to help us move. And um, it was actually quite embarrassing, because as they went from room to room, and I was sort of helping them a little bit, um, they would pick up a sofa or maybe a, a wardrobe or, or a bed. And, and the room had looked quite tidy, but when they picked up the sofa, beneath the sofa was this great pile of dust. And actually, at one point, I saw the beginnings of a tumbleweed under, at one point. And I was quite embarrassed. I thought our house was quite tidy. And I said to the man again and again in different rooms, I'm so sorry, it's so dusty, it's so messy. And I think by the third or fourth apology, he turned around to me and said, not unkindly, he said, look, mate, I go into people's houses every day. Everyone's got dust. And he turned around and carried on. (laughs) I think I felt better. Um, But what is true with furniture at least in the Scammon household. Well, it so easily can be true of the Christian heart, can't it? We are very good at polishing and dusting the outsides so that other people walk in and go, yeah, that's a, that's a clean place. But it's so easy behind closed doors in our hearts to allow the dust and the cobwebs to grow. And in fact, I would say the longer we are Christians, the greater the danger that the dust builds and builds The love we used to have for Jesus has grown cold. The joy replaced by duty. Authenticity replaced simply by habit. Urgency replaced by skepticism. That kind of dust can so quickly form in a Christian's heart. And it can just take our eyes off Jesus. But we read from this parable that past readiness is no substitute for present readiness. I don't say this to undermine someone's assurance in Christ here tonight. I do not doubt that the wonderful Lord Jesus can keep all of those who are his. But let's not duck the challenge before us tonight. The question for each of us, and I I include myself in this, are we still ready Not, were we ready then? Are we still watching? Are our eyes still fixed on Jesus? Are we still single-mindedly pursuing him above all things in our lives and in our hearts? For Christ's return will bring division. Lastly, third, Christ's return will be decisive. And this is hard to hear. Up until this point, the the parable has followed the kind of outline that might be expected in first century life. But then verse 8 comes along. Look down with me at verse 8. The foolish ones said to the wise, give us some of your oil. Our lamps are going out. And you're thinking, go on, pass it around. There must be enough to go around. Go on, just do the decent thing and and share the oil around to those who don't have it. But verse 9 No, they replied, there may not be enough for both of us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. This feels difficult. You think, why 
don't they share? But the point here tonight is not that these five wise bridesmaids were somehow stingy or tight-fisted. No, the point for us is that spiritual preparedness can't be passed around. You can't share it. Uh, A few years ago, I was speaking on a youth group weekend away, and we were down in North Devon, and the activity on Saturday was to go surfing. It was November. Um, I'd never been surfing, so I had no idea how to prepare for surfing or what to bring. Um, I brought my trunks along, don't worry, but that was about it. Um, And that was fine. It was very cold. But then afterwards, I realized just how underprepared I was because I hadn't brought a towel. I didn't know to bring a towel. Um, And I I hadn't brought any hot chocolate in a flask to warm me up, and I hadn't brought any cake to revive me. So I was unprepared for surfing in Devon in November. But thankfully, there were other people who were prepared. In fact, they were more than prepared. They brought extra towels for others, and they brought extra hot chocolates for those who hadn't brought any, and they brought extra cake to share around. And because of their thoughtfulness, I was able to to be prepared. They were able to share around their preparedness, and I was warm and happy and snug because of them. That may be true when it comes to surfing, but it is not true when it comes to spiritual preparedness. No one can prepare you for Christ's return except for yourself. It is a personal decision. And when Christ returns, it cannot be shared around. It does us no good that we've been involved in a large and lively church like Christ Church. It does us no good that people in our small group took the Bible seriously. It does us no good that our friends prayed fervently if we do not know Christ personally if we have not experienced what Claire has experienced in her life. When Christ returns, it will be decisive. We cannot go around asking for help. And then, of course, comes those awful words, verse 11. Later, the others also came. Sir, sir, they said, open the door for us. But he replied, I tell you the truth, I don't know you. You do not want to hear those words when the groom returns. No personal relationship with the groom. But again, we might think, well, that is awfully difficult because in a normal wedding, people come late all the time and the door is always open. And if you knock, of course you're let in to join in the wedding celebration. So why not here? This last week, I've been reading a book by an American pastor called Rob Bell. Maybe some of you have heard of him. He's a very influential speaker, particularly in the US. Uh, He's written a number of books. And I was reading a book he wrote called Love Wins. Uh, This book has topped the New York Times bestseller lists. It's a very popular book amongst Christians and non-Christians. And in the book, Bell makes this very point. He says, God loves people too much to let them endure an eternity of separation and exclusion from him. God's love must win. Therefore, Bell argues, at some point, whether in this life or in the life to come, God must somehow bring everyone in to the wedding celebration. Some, everyone must somehow find their way because God's love cannot be thwarted. And there are many who say amen and who follow Rob Bell. Unfortunately, 
It is not the teaching of Matthew 25. You see, the, the great mistake that Rob Bell makes is not that God doesn't love people. God loves people a huge amount. In fact, if you want to see how much Jesus loves people, why not spend 10 minutes some point tonight reading Matthew 26 and Matthew 27? And there you will see a man who bravely and lovingly goes and endures the worst death ever experienced in the course of human history. And he does it because he loves other people, dying in their place to rescue them. There is no doubt about God's love, but what Bell gets wrong is that God also is faithful to his promises, that he loves righteousness and holiness, that he will judge sin as well. And God will not tolerate those who spend a lifetime rejecting his son, Jesus Christ. And so when Christ returns, it will be decisive. There will be many here tonight who are keeping watch. There are many here who are ready for Christ to return. And if that is you tonight, let me just say, It's worth it. Keep going. You're on the right track. It may be difficult to keep our eyes fixed solely on Christ. There are many voices tempting us to do other things. And it may mean sacrifice. But it is worth it. Because there is a day in the diary when Christ returns. And there will be a great wedding celebration that we have never seen before. And at that that moment, when we look the groom in the eye and he knows us. It will be worth it. Every sacrifice, every choice. But if you know that you are not ready for Christ to return, maybe you've been pretending to others, maybe even to yourself, or if you've never really thought about it, then let me say tonight that this warning is real and it's urgent. Why not become ready tonight? Why wait a moment longer I said that next week we're going to look at the second half of Matthew 25. God willing, we will, but Christ might return before then. If you want to find out how to become ready, if you're not sure, come and grab me afterwards. Um, I'm the one who's new and looking a bit confused. Or or grab Paul. Uh, He'd love to tell you how you can be ready tonight. And of course, if Christ doesn't return tonight, um, there's that Christian Explorer course that begins in just a week or so. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that in a world of great uncertainty, you have given us your word, which is true and certain. Thank you that we need not wonder what the future will be like, nor do we need to wonder how to be ready for whatever happens. Father, please help us to be those who fix our eyes on Jesus, who long for his return, and when he comes, we are able to greet him with great joy. In Jesus' name. Amen.